Marcus Boykin. Saul Agnan. CJNG Mexican Gang. Imam Hamadi Ismael Mazud. Josh Holder. Mike Tedesco. Admiral Gerald Pilsner. Leonard Howard. J.D. Hartley. Steve Horn. Lorraine Hartley. Ben Edwards. Hey guys, I'm Chris, and that was The Terminalist. <laughs> the Terminalist. I'm Mike, and welcome to No Limits, the thriller podcast. And for the next month or so, The Terminalist podcast. There it is. Coming to you live with all things Jack Carr, all things Terminalist. We're so excited for, one, this book, to talk about this book today. Two, this TV show. I can't wait. Like, it's great that, like, you know, I I had never read this book until this past three days. And now I get to watch it in a show in a little, little over, you know, a month. It's It's going to be awesome. It was so great. You texting me all giddy. It felt like I was getting to relive the excitement when I first read this as it came out. It is just a trip. This might be the best book that we have reviewed on the Thriller podcast, hands down. And I might just say, one of my all-time favorite books, period. It's up there. It, it is definitely up there. Like, if you had to do a ranking, like it's it's pretty high up there. All right, before we get into today's podcast, let me just give you guys a little bit of a little bit of programming reminders. Last month we covered all things Chris Howdy, and Mike recently interviewed David McCloskey. Great interview with that, Mike. I, I listened to that this morning. That was a really good interview. Damascus Station, also a fantastic book. Definitely, definitely on a must read list. Yes. And also, we were on another podcast. The Protectors right. Podcast, so please check that out with our friend. Jason Piccolo, thanks for having us. Appreciate you having us on. Yes, Jason Piccolo, go check him out. What a, what a great guy. Yeah, anything else? Like, We're just pounding out content here. Yeah, let's just back up for anybody just finding No Limits. Let me tell you a little bit about the brand. This is our third season and our third podcast feed where we're branching out and covering all thrillers across the board, from Chris Howdy to Jack Carr to Mark Graney and others, even some new releases, we're going to be covering them here as they come out. We've already covered the entire Vince Flynn series, 20-plus books, 100-plus episodes, all the Mitch Rapp books by Kyle Mills and Vince Flynn. We're even gearing up in September to cover Oath of Loyalty, we can't wait for the next rap book to come out. And our season two is the Brad Thor podcast. All the books by Scott Harvath were three books in. And man, I am looking forward to July where we'll get to cover Rising Tiger. Yes. So if you're new to No Limits, you've got three pods to subscribe to. If you're a Mitch Rap fan, a Scott Harvath fan, and now this month, Jack Carr and everything James Reese. James Reese. You know, we're covering this book. And one of the reasons we are covering this book is because the TV show is coming out, Mike. Yes. How hyped are you for this TV show? Dude, I am pumped. And you guys are probably listening to this after we already dropped our first reaction video. Chris and I, once it drops, we're going to do a couple of minutes 
our first reactions. You guys will get to hear everything we think about the trailer. So based on all the content we've got so far, a couple of teasers, I am super hyped. And we have another episode where we where we interview two super fans, one of them a high schooler, Abraham, who started the Terminal Vengeance YouTube channel. And he does breakdown videos, taking all of this content and digging in, looking for connections, trying to uncover what the story is going to be about. And we also brought on Kevin. Uh, Kevin is a patron of the podcast, helps make it possible, and he's running some giveaways. So be sure to listen to our interview with Abraham and Kevin, two super fans, lots of giveaways. They're starting as soon as this week and continuing late into July. You have a chance to win copies of the book movie posters, a gift card to Jack Carr's website to get yourself the cross tomahawks hat or any maybe some Black Rifle coffee. They're even giving away the Revenge Blend Black Rifle coffee in, in one of the giveaways. And Chris, this was surprising. You know what they picked up? A No Limits mug. Oh, very nice. One special listener will get a No Limits mug as part of the giveaway. So be sure to follow all those guys and listen to our interview with Abe and Kevin so you can know how to get involved and win some Jack Carr swag. Yeah, and we're going to be coming at you with episodes covering the show in depth in the future, as well as Jack Carr's latest release, In the Blood. Yeah. Come for Terminalist, stay for all the books. We'll be covering each one in the ensuing months after the show is out. And hopefully the show will get some of you non-Jack Carr readers to uh, pick up Terminalist. And all five books in the series. I wanted to start with a little something so the audience can play along. As we talk James Reese, I wanted to give you a little trivia quiz show. Chris, I've pulled these on you before. I'm not going to ask you to answer them. But how about you and the audience? Keep them on the back of your mind. And as we go, we'll explore some of these questions and, and see how many you got right. All right. Sounds good. All right. So we're going to start off with an easy one. They're going to get progressively harder. Question number one for the Terminalist quiz show. What are the names of Reese's wife and daughter? Ooh, I know that one. Okay. Told you we're starting easy. Question two. How does Reese take his coffee? Number three. What is Reese's favorite condiment? Trick question. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, don't give it away. <laughs> Question four, is Reese a morning person or a night owl? Question five, what do we learn is one of Reese's favorite bands? And which song is he listening to? I told you, they're getting a little harder, huh? Yes, they are. Question six, in what two cities does Reese kill with his Winkler Sayoc Tomahawk? A mainstay of the Jack Carr brand is the Tomahawk. Which two cities does he get a kill in in this book? And finally, in the really awesome scene in Mexico, taking out the gangbangers. Awesome scene. How many of the guys does Reese kill single-handedly? How many guys does he kill in that one scene in Mexico? And he would have had them all. He would have had them all. He didn't need help. <laughs> he got a little help at the end. So how many did he kill? And then there were a few uh, few friends, got a couple as well. All right, so seven questions. How are you feeling about them? 
I think I got most of them. Okay. All right. Audience, listen along as we go. Chris, I think it's time. Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump into this book. And you know what I like to do on No Limits Podcast? I like to put my thoughts in the form of a limerick. There once was a seal named James Reese. The list he'll cross off, or no peace. Conspirators he will slay. Each one they will pay. Vengeance for wife and daughter never cease. That's awesome. You actually you actually had it written before before we potted. This is great. One of your better ones. <laughs> I had that one prepared. Yeah, that that one I got done twenty minutes ago. So that was bright and early. A, a little a little peek into how the pot is made. How about a throwback though? Do you mind if I go back to the No Limits archives? Yes, of course. Find the limerick I read to Jack Carr. Do it. For anyone who doesn't know, we had Jack on our season one podcast. We talked all about Mitch Rapp and what Vince Flynn meant to him and how he even carried a copy of Term Limits, the first Vince Flynn book with him on his deployment. And it was an awesome conversation. So maybe we'll repost that, Chris, but you can definitely find it on season one, the Mitch Rapp podcast. And at the end, a a tradition we like to do is uh, I write limericks for some of our guests and limericks about all of our books. And he was a little, how would you describe his reaction to hearing that I wrote poetry for him? Confused? Confused, but great. great. He took it in stride. He he enjoyed it in the end. (laughs) Perplexed? (laughs) Uh, It's it's all good. They, they, They appreciate it in the final end. Yeah. Here we go. A warrior. A husband, a father, a seal. James Reese, or Jack Carr, doth this reveal. A man on a mission, surpassing competition. To every type of reader, his books appeal. Boom, baby. That was a good one, too. That was a really good one. I like that one. All right, let's get into the real stuff, though. I give us the poems, and you give us the data. Give us the scores. How is this book holding up on Amazon and Goodreads? It's got a pretty high score on both. It's got a 4.2 on Goodreads, 4.7 on Amazon. And a lot of, lot of good quotes for this one. So we got one from Chris Pratt, who is our in the blood or in the flesh, James Reese, who says, take my word for it. James Reese is one rowdy motherfucker. Get ready. We also have Brad Thor, our season two namesake. He says, it's absolutely awesome. So powerful. So pulse pounding, so well written. Rarely do you read a debut novel this damn good. Lee Child of the Jack Reacher series says, seriously good. I mean, seriously. And finally, we have Kevin Maurer, co-author of No Easy Day. Told with a deft hand and a keen eye for detail, the terminalist is an explosive and riveting is is explosive and riveting. Perfect for fans of Vince Flynn, Brad Thor, Stephen Hunter, and Nelson DeMille. Very true. Oh yeah. Those quotes are spot on. A Navy SEAL. On his last command deployment, Lieutenant Commander James Reese's entire team was killed in a catastrophic ambush. But when those dearest to him are murdered on the day of his homecoming, Reese discovers that this was not an act of war by a foreign enemy, but a conspiracy that runs to the highest levels of government. Now with no family and free from the military command structure, Reese applies the lessons that he learned in over a decade of constant warfare towards avenging the deaths of his family and teammates. 
With breathless pacing and relentless suspense, Reese ruthlessly targets his enemies in the upper echelons of power without regard for the laws of combat or the rule of law. So we we kicked off this pod by doing the terminal list. I don't know, the list. How should we uh, structure everything going forward? Should we just go? To, should we just go down the list and uh, and like talk about each killing or? I feel like we kind of got to go kill by kill. That's definitely one way to do it. But since you just read the synopsis, I actually pulled a quote from the preface that I think, written by Jack Carr, summarizes this book way better than any of those kind of dust jacket previews can give you. I just listen to how perfect this is. He's coming out swinging right out of the gates. From the preface, I quote, this is a novel of revenge. The Terminalist explores what could happen when an apex predator, a warrior at the top of his game, is thrown into a situation from which there is no return. It is about what could happen when societal norms, laws, regulations, morals, and ethics give way for and set a course of reckoning. A man who is, for all practical purposes, already dead. Dude! Those, like, three sentences are better than any attempt to try to describe what this book is about. He nailed it. Yeah, and right from the bat, right, we are thrust into the action. First, we do, like, this cold opening with the Marcus Boykin kill, who we have, we have no idea what the hell is going on. We just know that this guy had to get got. And then, right after that, you know, it's mentioned that what is it like ten days earlier, a couple like a couple weeks earlier, we go to the the combat scene where Reese loses all, most of his men, like just back to back. Like that that opening is amazing. Oh, great first few chapters because you're trying to figure out why is this guy taking the shot in Wyoming? Yeah, what did this Marcus Boykin character do? Get a short description of him as this fat cat banker. So you're kind of led to, you know, not like his lifestyle. Right. And, but you're still wondering what could drive someone to take this shot. And then, boom, we see an operator lose his team. And, I mean, we're just getting such cool detail. And this is going to be a, a mainstay of what Jack does. The rifle is described, all the specs, and who handcrafted it. The Eccles family, Darcy yeah, Eccles. that's pretty cool. In Utah is this master of craftsmanship and precision. And Reese got the gun as a gift from his from father. His He's using a Night Force NXS 2.5 to 10X 32 millimeter. I have no idea what the heck that means. <laughs> but you gun gurus out there are probably losing your shit over it. Like, <laughs> it's a 300 Winchester Magnum. Like, it means nothing to me over my head. But you know what? For the people who love that. You know, like you could tell Jack is speaking to a crowd and that crowd is is loving it. They're eating it all up. Yeah, and I like the description. I think we get it later on of the the cartridges that his dad like paints, like precisely hand packed, wrote out the details. And I'm, I'm imagining like this box of bullets and like each one has its place, yeah. you know, and then he even puts like the, the spent shells like back in right after they're shot. I don't know. Just throughout the entire novel, Jack does a very good job of not get, not like bogging us down with description of tactical stuff, but 
using it to elevate the story. Yes. And you can tell, obviously, he was he's, he was an operator, so it's something that is important to him. And I feel like it comes a little bit, it feels a little bit different coming from the voice of someone who's actually used the weapons than like right. others who do it well. I'm not, I'm not saying that like Brad or, or Vince or, or Kyle don't do it justice, but it just, it has a different weight. Like knowing the person who wrote it this does. probably shot this gun, this exact gun. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. And he's such a gearhead. The authenticity is so strong. I, there's very few writers who can so authentically put themselves in the story. And what's cool is hearing Jack say, I'm not James Reese. James Reese is smarter than me, wittier than me, more creative than me, a better operator than me. But he says he captured the feeling. And I, I love that. It, authenticity is just the word for it. No one can be more authentic in writing this character, the story, than him. Everything James Reese goes through, Jack has, in a sense, lived through or or felt and can explain that experience from a first-person perspective. So it's just super creative that he created James Reese not to be himself, he, he says that, but he can recreate the feelings. And that also helps with the redactions because he talks a lot about the review process, even right, in the preface. Does. Yeah, saying how a lot of stuff got redacted. And if you heard Jack on podcasts, he's even done a lot of the appeals. There were layers and layers of you have to appeal every single detail that was shot down and redacted by by the Pentagon or the Department of Defense or the CIA review board. And his strongest argument was everything, all the details, the tech specs, the mission parameters that I'm using – even the equipment that I'm describing, all of that is publicly available in government documents. Things that are on the web, published on a .gov website. And he said, if you can find it there, why do you censor it for my work? <laughs> so this is a good argument there. That plus he's not giving away specific things that he's seen or done. He's recreating the feelings of what it was like to be in those shoes. And, and I think that puts him in the clear for telling a great story. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this because he mentions that at the very beginning, but I, I, as with most things, I do audiobooks. And so there was only one time where there was a bleep in the audiobook. Is, yeah. Have you actually read The Terminalist? I mean, I was reading a little bit, but I didn't see many yes. redactions. So I think they changed this over time. I'd have to go back okay. and compare different versions of it. I actually thought it was really cool when it first came out. It did have a lot of redactions, which okay. in the text were blacked out. And in the audiobook said redacted. And it happened a lot. I really remember that. And some people were like, oh, it's just annoying. It breaks up the story. To me, it got me interested. But you're right. The version I listened to and the Kindle version I just read didn't have a lot of redactions. I don't no, remember Ray Porter ever stopping and saying redacted, but the first time I listened to it, I really think I recalled that. I, they might have changed it in subsequent releases. I really think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but they obviously left that piece in the beginning. Right. So you were talking about James Reese. I guess we should just, from the from the get-go, what do you think of James Reese as, as a character? Oh, dude. He's a legend. <laughs> I mean... How does he stack up to... Like a Mitch Rapp or a Scott Harvath or 
The Gray Man. The Gray Man. Well, how are you asking? I, I think I think you gotta break down that question because in stature of being a literary figure for the thriller genre, I don't think he's there yet, you know? Just five books in, one just released days ago. I can't really say he's at the level of a Mitch Rapp or Scott Harveth, just or even Jack Reacher or someone, just in how they're mainstays of thrillers. I think he, he can become that, right? But there's a difference between 20 books right, and four or five. So in that regard, I think he's well on his way. I He's going to be there. In terms of an operator, I think he's just very different. I think they have different skill sets. Maybe closest to a gray man or Scott Harveth actually having military training. Right. You know, Scott being a SEAL. But again, how they're working and the missions they're on are so different. Yeah. I mean, the motivation and revenge and search for vengeance is not something we've seen from Scott. It's kind of something we saw from Mitch, but he's not a military man. Right. So it's different. I don't I don't think it's fair. Would you say it's fair to try to compare them? No, it it's not. It's a it's a it's an unfair question, but I had to ask it. But like a lot of this book sort of reminded me of the scenes after Anna is killed, right? When when Mitch goes on the revenge tour. And you can True. even argue that it's similar to how you know Scott has to go on that revenge after you know when he's in Russia after um Lara's killed and, and the old man is killed. True. Right? But one of the things I really liked about the character in Jack points this out is that while James Reese is very good and very adept, he's not the best. Like he always mentions that, you know, he, he got top three in the running of the course, which is like still, you know, in terms of operators, that's amazing because you're, you're dealing with the best of the best. But I, I liked how he sort of grounded him a little bit. He didn't try to, you know, it's easy to make these tropes of like, my character is going to be the best runner, the best fi- the best shooter, the best fighter. But, like, Jack doesn't over- overtly say that. He just sort of shows it with action how adept this character is and how efficient he can be. And then the whole – the family story in terms of the death of his, his wife and, and daughter, I feel like that adds, you know, while we don't interact much with them besides, like, flashbacks or, like, memories that, that James has – that adds a new element to a, a, an operator like this because we don't get a lot of these people are single or they're going through, you know, they're not married. They're going through these relationships through the books. And so this was like a different feel coming right out of the gate, right off the gate with someone who is, is married. You know, they immediately get killed and now it sets up this perfect revenge plot. I don't know. I just feel like the combination created this ultimate character that I really vibed with. And I, I really like James Reese. Which is like I don't know. This is going to be like the source of the pod going forward. But I, I just I I don't know if I can see Chris Pratt as James Reese, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. A little. He. he I mean, he's Star Lord, right? He's um. He's, he's a funny. guy from. He's, he's, a, he's a comedian. Parks and Rec. He's a goofball. Yeah. yeah, he's a soft, you know, kind of goofball. I. But then again, we saw him in Zero Dark Thirty we as did. an operator. We did. He switched it on. When Star-Lord's got to kill, Star-Lord can kill. Jurassic Park, when he's got to be in the action, he's in the action. He can do everything, right? I agree with you. My first reaction was like, oh, not this rough-and-tumble guy I pictured. But damn, Chris Pratt's got the ability and the skill to pull it off. So I am not at all worried, but I'm with you that my first reaction. I guess we'll have the discussion 
when when we see it we'll have that discussion when we see it though yeah i did hesitate though at first i I will agree with you there i will but to your point about james reese not being perfect not being a superhero i think that makes him very compelling he's not captain america you know he's not captain america right but i think it's compelling because it probably is reflective of the actual heroes that jack looks up to and his own mentors sure I part of I'm sure why the the people the guys he looks up to and and the seals he's learned from part of what he learned from them was probably that they had vulnerabilities. He probably learned from them the way they handled mistakes in the field or when they made the wrong call or an op went south. He he probably realized the true heroes are the ones who can deal with that and bring the unit together. And so he didn't want his character to be super problem solver you know rambo you know go out and just murder everyone he needed to have more nuance to the character and it's probably based on what he really saw and the guys he saw and looked up to and learned from himself and the family part of it i think adds to that narrative of like mitch rapp or scott harveth it's like damn these guys don't really have family so we can't really hurt them we can't get them sure well james reese gets got Yo, he gets got. That, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it just all makes it real. It adds to this texture of who he is and who are the guys like him that go down range and do this and have to sacrifice time with their families. It allows that story to be told in a real, in a super hyper realistic way. All right. So we kind of covered the ambush because that's part one. Right. I like how the book is broken down into these three parts. Ambush is a great name for the opening, both the scene in Afghanistan and then the scene at his home in Coronado. Right. One of the trivia questions you said earlier are his daughter, his wife and daughter's names. I know his daughter is Lucy. His wife's name is Lauren. Lauren, Lauren, and, Lauren Lucy. and Lucy. Dude, let's get into that scene because that's just as much as the ambush, which part one is called, as is the actual losing troop on the ground. I remember viscerally listening to this scene for the first time. It hit me hard, man. It hit me hard. It was rough, especially the scene, like the chapters afterwards when he's driving up to it and he's describing another time when he came home yeah. and how it happened. And you're like, and you realize, oh, wait, this is, this is not this time. This is, you know, he's, it didn't he's, happen. he's like, maybe this will happen again. Or he's hoping that that'll happen again. And then when he gets there and he runs in and he gets tackled by the cops, like, I'm like driving back from the beach last week listening to this and I'm like starting to like, I don't know, like well up a little bit, you know, like yeah, get a little emotional. I'm like, wait, this is a book. Like, this is a fictional plot. Like, but this, it was so sad for this dude. I got, I got, you know, a little, a little emotional and I don't know, just the way that the writing of it was just great. And I like how they put these throughout the thing, these little memories of him with his daughter like the freaking terminal list is written on a written in crayon on a drawing that she did and and the fact that you know she was pregnant and she was saving that as a as a gift for him surprise yeah and she takes out one doesn't goes out fighting like is able to wound one of the attackers which he gets extreme revenge on later on at the at the mexican compound yeah that what a what a gut-wrenching scene dude yeah, I was going for a run around our university, Catholic University, here in Northeast D.C., 
And I, I literally, I could picture the part of the sidewalk. You know that road on the west side of campus behind the Basilica? Yeah. I stopped. I, I literally stopped and just sat on the steps. I, I literally, I listened to this and just sat down. I, I think I sat for like five minutes and wasn't even listening to the story. I was just it's, like, there's no way. That's intense. And you, but the thing is that you kind of knew it was coming because he mentions it that Boykin, who the guy he kills, like took down his daughter. So, like, you know that the scene is coming, right? It, it's, it's not, it's not like hiding, it's hiding there in plain sight. Do you want to see this on screen? Do I want to see this on screen? I don't think so. Oof. How are they going to handle that? I, I think it's going to be flashbacks or like, yeah. He comes home and the police are there. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's what happens in the story, right? He sees the police tape and he's running across the lawn. He gets tackled. Just listen to this quote. This is the quote where I literally sat down and, and just I felt I was emotional. Quote, Reese was suddenly overcome by the events of the past week. He lost the Seal brothers he had sworn to lead, was kept from their funerals, scapegoated by a bureaucracy who helped seal their fates, lost another teammate to a supposed suicide, and now faced the possibility that the two people he loved most in the world were gone too. Lying on his side with his hands cuffed behind his back, he began to sob uncontrollably. The overwhelming emotions, combined with the effects of the pepper spray, turned the hardened warrior into a quivering mess. His body face down onto the seat of the patrol car. He had nothing left to give and nothing left to lose. Mm. Oh, Boozer, he lost his his right. friend. They did a fake suicide. Like, just he lost his teammate just days prior in Afghanistan. The doctor who diagnosed his tumor. Not as his teammate. He lost his entire team. And that we didn't even talk about, like, but that ambush scene where, like, he goes to grab his helmet and he's like, wait, this this is a little bit more heavy. And he realizes because it still has the head of one of his, the guy he was just talking to in it. And this guy is, like, broken, beaten, just found out, like, we didn't even say that yet. Just found out that he potentially has a tumor in his head that could be, you know, obviously cancerous and he could be terminal. Terminal. Yeah, exactly. Key terminalist. Pun intended. Then he comes back. Boozer's dead. Now his wife and kids. Like, and this is all like sends in immediately sends him into his action of like something. Something's not right. This is obviously nothing's click. Like something's up here. Doesn't make any sense. But yeah, just the emotion that he goes through. You know, real driver of revenge, and I it allows for a, a lot of buy-in. Like it really sells yes. the story here with these traumatic events. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And this is where he starts planning. I mean, he says, I've got nothing left to live for, so my final job on this earth is to hunt down every single one of these fuckers who are responsible. And he knows it's going to have to be connected. To have HQ dictate the tactics of that mission from above, he felt strange about that even just going in. He questioned, right. how the heck did I play along and just allow my men to go into this? They didn't just give us the intel. You know, he's like, something we usually collected the intel, or if we got the intel, we then planned the op. They got everything. They were told the tactics they had to use, 
how they had to approach the house. And all of this was coming down from on high. And he's just like, this goes up the chain of command then. Because I have no idea why the bureaucrats and the politicians are the ones dictating our tactics. And as a leader, that's got to be tough to swallow that you walked into it or you were forced to walk into it. But he knows it's connected. And then we, we know this banker got taken out. So we've got a lot of pieces here. And I think at this point, we've already had some scenes where we hear the Hartleys. So we've kind of met the Hartleys in a different narrative going on, interwoven between these chapters. Yeah, and we've met Horn, obviously. Yes. And potentially even, not Boykin, but uh, his Saul. Tedesco. Um, and, and Tedesco. And Saul, yeah. Yep. So we've we've met a couple of these players. And at one point I was like, they were saying all these names, you know, Josh Holder, Mike Tedesco, J.D. Hartley, Lorraine Hartley, you know, like the Hartley, like, and I was I was getting a little confused, and then quickly it sort of like comes all together. But you know, when you're like yeah. when Reese Reese quote, doesn't quite understand it, we, we you're given the bigger picture and expected to put the pieces together. You know, I was I was getting a little bit confused, but then it it, it brought it back. And I have to say, like Reese goes through a pretty good job of you know playing spy and and being a good detective. Yes. Like it, I was. Pretty convincing that everything he does, he gets a little bit of help from a reporter, Katie Burnek, who, you know, we're gonna we're gonna see played by Constance Wu, right in uh in the upcoming show. So yes. excited to see her, her as a character. Yeah, and you're right; he's really creative in how he's meeting with Katie. No cell phones. Oh yeah. Doesn't want to get tracked. He's seen high value targets. The sole reason his guys were able to kill them and take them out abroad was because they carried cell phones and made mistakes and our SIGINT got them. And so he's like, no cell phones, pay for everything in cash, keep your records, you know, in these places and how they communicate. They use, you know, some app, some chat app that he knows is safe and does it from burner phones, paid for in cash with certain amounts of minutes. So Bu- yeah, buying can... gift cards in cash, like, that whole description of how to do that was like, wow, this is like how you actually have to stay off the grid. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So Katie's on his team. What is his next step? He pretty much, how does he trace it initially to, who's the guy that he tracks to Chili's? And then... Oh, that's the, uh, that's Josh Holder. You're, you're right. The cabal of bad guys, they do get a little mixed up. On your on my second and third read, it was easier to sort out, but there's almost one too many cooks in the kitchen. If that's the one nitpick I had, it's like, you, you didn't need... Marcus Boykin, like his death, was like pretty cool in the very beginning but like we literally don't like even we get a little blurb explaining like who he was during like Saul's interrogation but like you didn't need Marcus Boykin you didn't need Saul Agnan like you, you you didn't need Josh Holder like I mean I guess you know he he needs all these characters but yeah it was just it was a little bit bogged down if I had to say that I almost wonder if he made enough characters to check off the different ways he wanted to kill them. Oh, <laughs> like if yeah. Jack I mean, had, I want to kill somebody will. by this overdose and this cocktail I shoot into him. I want to use the Inca method of ripping out your intestines, tying them around a tree. Like he obviously had some crazy fucked up ways he wanted to kill people. I feel like the list got a little long, but it was awesome to see. Yeah. And he's getting some help not only from Katie, but also from Ben Edwards. Yes. So this is a, a longtime friend of his who gives him shit, played by, he's going to be played by Taylor Kitsch in the TV show. I don't know if you want to get into Ben now because, you know, he obviously plays an important role throughout the stories, but then 
the twist of the end is is sort of his big play. Yeah. Well, I guess how we lead to Ben is that Ben is kind of the techie guy, and Reese gets this hard drive by sneaking into. Boy, whose Holders. house was it? Holders. It wasn't Saul. It was, it was Holder's. Holders. Josh Holder. Yeah. yeah. And I like that scene because it shows the prep. Reese, for days in his apartment, drew maps and sketches. He went undercover as if he was buying real estate in the same apartment. Right. Oh, oh right. can I film? And and he was specifically filming the types of locks that they had. He practiced picking it for hours. He almost had the thing planned out with every detail, second by second, of what he had to do. To one, steal this hard drive, get it to Ben Edwards, and then he goes back for Holder later on. Yeah, that's a big reveal at the end. I don't know if I want to say it just yet. Well, obviously, if you hear you, you've read the novel, but we, we can get to that later. But yeah, so he's using this intelligence. He puts together the pieces, but it's not until he really has the interrogation with Saul that he he finally understands the entire piece, right? That, right. you know, the Hartleys are this power couple in Washington, D.C. You know, we love it when you make politicians the bad guys, right? You have this this couple, one's the sec def, which is crazy. Like, all right, this sec def has, they have a program where they radicalize Americans to then u- yeah. potentially use them. And like, she pulls one, uh, this taxi driver in LA, which is where they go and shoot up, but tries to shoot up a, in Chinatown. That that scene was crazy. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. I Radicalizing I, the guys out of prison. Like, our own government, I, I wouldn't put it past them, but that was insane. So that we can have an Islamic terrorist to blame it on. Do you think that, act, you know, that's the times when, like, most of these things I, I read and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe, but, you know, not really. But that, I'm like, no way. It can't be. Like, we we can't yeah. be doing that. Oh. That's crazy. The Harleys are at the heart of this, right? They're the ones teaming up with Horn, this ringleader, capital investment guy, to get this drug. Which the drug story like kind of played like it worked, but like it wasn't like ultimately needed, I guess. I guess that that's like what put them on the course, like to cover it up. But I kind of like forgot about it like halfway through the novel. And then like, they brought it back with, um, you know, understanding like what, what they were trying to do. And she sort of plays on this later on with like, I'm, I'm tasking all scientists to work on PT. We need to focus on the real wars against PTSD. And, you know, it just, Full circle brings it back. I don't know. The the loose, not the loose ends, but like the different tie-ins that Jack is able to weave with some of the characters' uh, quotes and, and sayings, like interplay with some of his ideologies that he puts through James Reese. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed how everything was sort of interwoven. What did you think, Mike? Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm not going to say the PTSD and the drug research is this kind of side story that's easily forgotten about. It's the driving motivator. I think it's a huge plot point. No, it, it is. It is. And I'm, I shouldn't say a side story, but just like I kind of, there was so much accent like trying to chase down these guys. I forgot gotcha. the reason kinda he's forgot. chasing down these guys is because they are doing like, was the Tuskegee syphilis experiments on these, the equivalent uh, on these Navy SEALs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's what kickstarted this whole thing because the action was like so engaging. So. Yeah, okay, I I see you there. I just think it's a huge reveal and a brilliant plot twist when Reese is like, oh, they gave us some shots of vitamins or something, or we were going to be test subjects for some 
whatever they thought it was like a placebo they were getting or something that's not really going to be that or that important and they secretly got this drug right that was crazy and then the fact it's not just millions we're talking billions of dollars if there's a ptsd pill essentially you know that can take care of that the country the healthcare system would and the military would go bananas for it and they're literally using dod money there's a line in the pentagon's budget for ptsd research and they said like 95% of that money is lining the pockets of the hartleys and steve horn to make this drug and push this drug yet the complications are in its current stages tumors so it, it it's not quite a finished product man i thought that was a brilliant twist it actually is realistic thinking buy-in you could a hundred percent believe some nefarious characters on the hill are trying to profit from pushing research that they know is dangerous and willing to use people in the military and i will add this we didn't talk pilsner oh yeah using the command structure of the military where if you're someone who says no to the sec def or you say no to the people in washington you're out that chair. You know, you're stripped of your 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 duties. So the fact that you have to, and Jack had talked about this, you have to say yes. You have to toe the party line. You have to read, you know, whatever they want you to read to the press to keep your job or to advance up the career ladder right. at the Pentagon. And, and this Admiral Pilsner, actually, I will say, might be, I think, Jack's best mini villain or side villain of this whole story yeah he was the most because like of what he represents yeah because of what he represents i agree with that he he's like the most if you had to pick like the best explained or the best well thought out villain definitely the admiral is the one yeah and i think it's i think it has to do with the fact that he was the one who was supposed to be leading these men and he turned on them and had them had them all killed, and even had not only that, but had all these army rain, you know, or right army rangers also killed, just in the cover up. Like the man had no spine, you know. That that's ultimately like the worst thing. And when Reese punches him, dude, oh. I, dude, that that scene stands out when Reese pops the guy in his office. Oh, it's it's awesome. Yeah, there's so many good scenes from this book. Do you, do you want to get into some of the killings? Um, you know checking off this list we we still have to talk about the mexican like the gang scene who right, get revenge right. on his the killing of his wife there's the imam scene where he freaking oh, dude takes his head and puts it on a spike <laughs> we've barely got into actually checking off the list and some of the really cool kills so before we get into that let's just do a quick pause and revisit the trivia show we got number one lauren and lucy question two how does reese take his coffee all this time, he's been drinking honey and cream. Honey and cream. Honey and a touch that of cream. That black rifle coffee he mentions, too. Got to do the black rifle. Exactly. Veteran owned. Our question three, what is Reese's favorite condiment? Trick question. He hates all condiments. Trick question. He hates the mayo, hates the condiments. And why does he need the black rifle coffee? Question four, Reese is not a morning person. Says very clearly. Reese was struggling with the morning uh, when he woke up before seeing Katie Burnick. I don't know if it happened yet, but one of his favorite bands, at another point when he's in the car, ACDC. Oh, yeah. This is the one I couldn't remember. Yeah. Yep. It was ACDC. Highway to Hell. 
And it was highway to hell. Exactly. Exactly. All right, but since we're getting into that part two, which is called The List, when we start taking names, question six, in what two cities does Reese kill with his Winkler Sayak tomahawk? The first one on page where he whips that out is in Mexico, Tijuana, Mexico, where he's going after the gangbangers who shot up his wife and daughter. And how many does he kill in that scene? Well, I guess the second city is the Imam, and that is in San Diego, so right. back home in Coronado. So we got San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. Let's get into the last question. How many of the gangbangers does he kill? Find out next week with us on the Terminalist Podcast Part 2, review of the book. As always, we need to thank our patrons. Our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at thrillerpod.com or at Thriller Podcast. And as always, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. <laughs>